So detailed uh, critical summary of Madame Bovary. First is chapter one. The novel begins in the first person. It is narrated by an anonymous classmate of Charles Bovary, who appears by the end of the first chapter. It is Charles's first day in the Rose School. He is a sturdy, clumsy, plodding country lad of fifteen, and he immediately becomes an object of ridicule. His name and cap both rouse the laughter of his classmates. Then uh, there is an account of Charles's childhood. His father is a retired military man, and being blessed with good looks, has managed to marry well. But he is a lazy lout, and his profligate ways make his wife peevish, and she finds diversion in hard work. When the child uh, Charles is born, she pampers him and keeps him tied to her apron strings. The father does not care about his upbringing, and so Charles grows uh, like an oak. Education begins only at fifteen, and though dull-witted by working hard, he manages to keep somewhere near the middle of the class. His mother drives him hard and puts him in the medical school. There, the lectures baffle him, and he accomplishes his task without knowing what it is. Uh, like a mill horse uh, going blindfolded, once he is lured by the life of pleasure and abandons classes altogether, and consequently fails in the examination. The next time he qualifies with a good grade by memorizing all the answers. His mother has not only chosen Tost as a place of practice, but also finds him an eligible wife, an ugly widow of forty-five. Believed to have a good income, but uh, she is jealous, ever suspicious, and domineering, and gives Charles a miserable time. Stupidity is the major theme of the novel. The image of the hat is therefore a compelling statement of the major theme. It is first of all a dunce's cap that explains the spontaneous roar of laughter when Charles arrives at school. Charles Bovary stands for stupidity in its purest state. He is the centre of a circle, the source from which all stupidity seems to emanate. The very word Bovary evokes bovine qualities. Next is chapter two. Something happens when changes Charles' dreary lot. Which changes Charles' dreary lot. He is called one night to a farm. To set old farmer Rolls' uh, a broken leg, Charles meet his daughter Emma, a pretty convent-educated girl. He successfully sets the fracture. He comes back regularly, and his jealous wife notices this. She hates Emma instinctively and makes Charles uh, swear not to go there again. To make matters worse, Charles. Uh, parents come on a visit. They learn that a lawyer has decamped with the old widow's savings, and they also learn that her fortune wasn't so great after all. She has been lying. His parents are angry, but Charles speaks up for his wife. The old widow dies of chagrin. Charles uh, meets Emma when she is married to another woman. When his host shies violently on his first visit, it is a form of oracle, the premonition of a disastrous marriage. The old widow's losses is the first mention of financial disaster, which plays a large part in the book. In this chapter, we see Emma only through Charles' eyes. The first thing he notices about her is. Her fingernails. We also experience his delayed reaction to her beauty. Uh, next is chapter third. Mister Raw tries to cheer up Charles with a turkey and an invitation to his farm. Charles starts visiting the farm often, and he feels drawn towards Emma. Old Raw sends this feeling on Charles' part, and he almost forces his daughter's hand. On the assistant young man, the old man agrees upon a signal to inform Charles about her reaction. 
that he will open the window shutter the wedding is fixed and old row dismisses his daughter's desire for a torchlight wedding by midnight even here we learn of emma only what charles learns like him we have not the slightest idea of what she feels or thinks at the moment when she takes the momentous decision which seals her destiny the novelist hides her from us her dialogue with her father and her response are all presented to us indirectly from a considerable distance a distance where charles is located like charles we know only a few facial features gestures and dresses of emma we come to know her gradually but charles will never really know her this the reader is made to understand better the quality of knowledge that charles has and will always have of his wife another bird omen is felt the crash of the shutters as charles stands waiting for the result of his proposal is a sign that earlier warnings have gone unheeded and that his doom is sealed next is chapter 4 Uh, the wedding takes place in the true peasant tradition so unlike the one emma always dreamed of the garish colors of the rustic wedding the frock coats of the farmers the lengthened common dresses of the girls the boisterous jocks and substantial went all bespeak of a true peasant wedding the bridegroom is more excited and shy than the bride two days later the couple leave for toast and start their new life together here flaubert provides us a significant contrast between the peasantry and aristocracy the coarse ribald welding party provides a striking contrast to the grand entertainment at the chateau in chapter 6 this chapter also forward points forward to certain other incidents which come much later For instance, uh, during the wedding procession, Emma's dress gets in the way. It looks forward to the first ride with Rodolphe and the selection in the woods. The thistles that get caught in her dress are the obstacles in her married life. Significantly, Charles stands empty-handed while later the practical-minded lover would lean down from his hose and pull it loose. Next chapter. We get a description of the young couple's house at Toast. Charles is in raptures and he has no take care in the world. He is charmed by Emma's little refinements and her attentions. Everything about her fascinates him. But even in the first peaceful days of the honeymoon, Emma sends a vague disappointment. She has yet to discover bliss, passion and intoxication. Emma's sentimental education which is accompanied by the excitations of music and perfumed by religiosity is tracked back to the convent where she had been schooled from 13 but here she also came into contact with books books uh, that conjured up exotic lands and people steeds guitars balconies fountains counts and viscounts this was the world she thought she properly belonged to when her mother died she reveled in melancholy the kind that one come across in the laments of lamartine the girl who had once gone into mystic raptures was now in a world of sentimental thrills the sisters were glad when she left the convent This was not the kind of honeymoon that Emma had dreamed of it. Uh, it would be one with posh chaises, uh, with blue curtains, mountain roads, sea bays, villa terraces by moonlight, and Swiss chalets with a man who would be dressed like the nobility, tall with his talk, as flat as a sidewalk. never learns how to fence swim or shoot he taught her nothing knew nothing desire nothing the more intimate they become the more detachment grows within her 
there is no romance whatever in their lives emma is a good housekeeper and once in a while she sketches charles is very proud of his wife old madame bowery charles mother finds in emma a rival for her son's affections she also does not approve of her easy going ways emma on her part uh, makes a determined effort to experience love by reciting verses to him by moonlight but all attempts at inducing feelings of love fail and she repeats to herself oh why in heaven's name did i ever get married her only diversion now is a greyhound named jolly and now an extraordinary event occurs charles and emma are invited to lawbob's yard the chateau of marquis who was once treated by charles there is a marked incongruity between emma's high flowing sentiments and charles pedestrian bumblings we are never to forget that the book is about an ill-matched pair the plaster statue of the priest uh, reading his breviary which stands in emma's garden at toast represents uh, the piety and respectability of the first months of marriage the plaster however also symbolizes the brittleness of both her religion and virtue eighth chapter emma gets a glimpse of the world to which she emotionally belonged the chateau and the life there conjure up a wonderful land of for emma the marquis and his wife welcome the couple the iced champagne and pomegranates are new to emma the marble floors billiard rooms fine linen and silverware enthrall her emma dresses with meticulous care for the ball Charles has become repulsive to her beside the gallant nobleman who danced the quadrille. She crushes Charles's desire to dance and a viscount dances with her. Emma stays awake the whole night in order to prolong the illusion of luxurious life. They leave for toasts after breakfast next morning. During their buggy ride they pass a party which includes the viscount. The viscount has dropped a cigar case with charles pick up back home in tostes to their ordinary existence emma feels irritated with her servant maid her contempt for charles is complete this chapter is a turning point in the book the journey to lewobsier has opened up a yawning fissure in emma's life the ball lends a touch of reality to her fictitious world the party there is in striking contrast to the feast of the peasants the visit to the chateau is the central image of part 1 and the marriage is the central incident the visit shatters emma's married life forever emma feels more and more frustrated with her married life she finds herself gazing at the cigar case which retains the aroma of fashionable masculinity for her Now she is filled with a longing to go to Paris. She buys fashion magazine in order to read about high society. She tries to teach her maid Felicite to behave like a lady's maid. Charles's country bumpkin's ways become unbearable. She wished she could die and she wished she could live in Paris. Emma experiences a kind of floating anxiety. waiting for something to happen but nothing happens the dreary existence goes on meal times becomes unbearable and she neglects the household altogether there is a confrontation with her mother-in-law when old ro visits him visits them emma finds his coarseness intolerable she is only too glad when he leaves emma becomes extremely capricious and soon falls ill Charles wants to give her a change of scene and so he decides to set up practice in a large town Yonville Le Abbey one of the longest things that Emma does before their departure is to throw her bridal bouquet into the fire by the time they leave toast Emma is pregnant 
So by the end of book one, the marriage is all set to founder. The plaster priest's face has become weather stained and he has lost a foot which shows that moral deterioration had set in. The priest's uh, missing foot also points forward to the amputation of the wretched Hippolyte's leg which proves Charles's professional incompetence. Next is part 2. Chapter 1 begins with a description of Yonville Abbey. It's a bastard region where the speech is as flat as the landscape is characterless and where the worst cheeses are made. The finest house belongs to the notary. In his garden, there is a cupid standing with his fingers into his lips. We are introduced to the main characters in Yonville. <coughs> the most prominent of them is Omeas, the chemist. He is also a quack. He bears a strong contempt for the clergy and he would like to have them bled once a month for the sake of public order and morality. Then uh, there is Madame Le Francois who keeps the inn, the golden lion. She has a strong preference for her guest, Leon Dupis, the nice young man. We are also introduced to Mr. Bennett, an ex-soldier tax collector. All these people are awaiting the arrival of the new doctor and his wife. So Charles and Emma arrives a little late. Uh, the delay has been caused by Emma's greyhound, which has run away and is now lost. The Boris take their dinner in the company of Omens and Leon Dupis, the lawyer's clerk. Leon and Emma strike a conversation. Emma is able to converse freely with him and she discovers similarity of interest in books and music. They speak of lofty subjects, Paris theatres, high society, mountain scenery and sunsets. Emma tells Leon, I hate her low heroes and lukewarm sentiments of the sort one finds in real life. Leon is happy that he has spoken for two whole hours to a lady. The burning of the wedding bouquet at the close of part one is a sign that uh, morally and psychologically Emma's marriage has come to an end and points to the way in which her home will be burned up by her financial and emotional extravagances. The greyhounds, while scurrying, often reflects Emma's moods and when he jumps off the van and disappears never to be seen again, he clearly foreshadows the way in which Emma herself will go off the rails. The brittleness of Emma's religion and virtue had been suggested earlier by the plaster priest in their garden at, at Tostes. The announcements that the statue fell off the van on the way to Yonville is another sign of Emma's impending fall. In Yonville, one of the finest houses has a cupid in the garden. The failure of religion is emphasized here. The Christian religion sings as the cult of Eros begins to rise. The cupid also suggests the secret propensities of the lawyer. Charles has been sleeping on his journey to Yonville. It shows how he will remain unconscious of the secret affairs of his wife. The chemist tells him of the greatest advantage of the doctor's new house, a side door onto the lane which will enable him to go out without being seen. Ironically, it is this door that Emma uses for secret tryst with her lover. Next chapter, the apothecary Omea proves to be the best of neighbors. With sundry services, he makes himself indispensable to the Bowery's but this is all part of a plan. He had once been brought to book for practicing medicine without a diploma. He wants to place Charles under an obligation so that Charles will accuse. Uh, Charles, however, finds that he has no patience. Even otherwise, he has been plagued by money problems since marriage. Now his one consolation and interest is his wife's pregnancy. Emma, 
who had longed for a son, faints when she knows that the child born to her is a daughter. During her convalescence, convalescence Emma spends her time trying to find a fine name for her child. She finally settles on Bertha, Bertha, because it was the name of one of the guests at Chateau. The child is put out to nurse. During one of her journeys to the wet nurse, Emma walks with Leon. This sets the town gossips talking. Leon and Emma share the same longing for the fashionable life they cannot afford. As for Leon, Leon will boast him and he longs for an intimacy with Emma. Leon visits the Burberries in the company of Omeas. Uh, Charles often falls asleep and Leon and Emma sits, sit talking together. A bond has grown up between them and they exchange presents. However, they are unable to declare their feelings for each other. Meanwhile, Emma's irritation with her husband and intolerance for him grows. She keeps comparing his peasant panners with the refinement of Leon. But Emma suddenly has a whim to play the role of the ideal mother and wife. She becomes very religious. However, she suffers inwardly with a burning passion for Leon. She is full of covetous desires and therefore cannot keep up her pretense. She becomes pale and thin in neurotic. Charles tries his best to keep her happy. In exasperation, Emma tries to confess to Ab Bojan, but here religion does not come to her aid. The only distraction that she has is with Aro the trader who sells her finery under the buy-now-pay-later scheme. Leon gives up his love as hopeless. Leon will bows and tries him. They decide to go to Paris. When it is time to depart, Hidley takes leave of Emma. They are both very much conscious of their feelings for each other, which remain unexpressed. After this departure, Emma sinks into a deep melancholy. The world described in Madame Bowery, said Tibadio, is a world which is falling apart. We already hear the rumblings of disintegration. Emma's adulterous desires and her financial extravagances ultimately lead to her ruin. Erode the trader, literally uh, the happy man, has already started getting Emma in his clutches. And Charles is throughout blissfully unaware of his wife's real self. Emma's life becomes more unbearable now. Nothing can satisfy her. Though she tries to find diversion, her health also gives way and Charles, in anxiety, summons his mother. Old Madame Bowery diagnoses her daughter-in-law's malady. It stems for her sheer idleness. Relationship between the two women, Sor and their old lady, leaves. It is during this time that Rodolphe Boulange, a well-to-do handsome bachelor from the neighborhood, brings his servant to Charles' consulting room. There is an emergency and a mice summoned. Rodolphe is struck by her beauty and being a man of the world and a great deal experienced with women, decides that Emma ought to be highly dissatisfied with her husband. He makes up his mind to have her as mistress and sets about making plans. The Commises Agricoles or the Agricultural Exhibition is the most important event of Yonville. The whole town becomes alive on this occasion. The town gets a festive look and men and women are dressed in their best. There are stalls for commerce, agriculture, industry and fine arts. Rodolphe takes Emma to the fair and they sit in the council chamber on the first floor of the town hall. They pay scant attention to the speeches of the town councillors who go on speaking about patriotism and agriculture. 
Rodolphe confers his love for Emma in the high-flown language exactly in the way Emma has always dreamed of. Emma is enchanted all the more so because he exudes the same odor of lemon and vanilla as the viscount at the chateau. Rodolphe speaks to her of dramas and omens and magnetic attraction and comes to the conclusion that the irresistible attraction between the two could be traced to states of former existence. Each part of the novel is organized around a central incident and central image. The incident in part 2 is the seduction of Emma by Rodolphe. The central image is the Commises Agricoles. This scene is the longest in the novel and Flaubert took five months to complete it. It provides the most remarkable of Flaubert's contrast where the phrases and gestures of love are matched against the banalities of civic ceremony. So Flaubert often mixed irony and pathos and this scene is one of his extended examples. The commises in which all the inhabitants of Yonville participate in some degree is the epitome of the whole novel. It is a feast of stupidity whose echoes are heard in the platitudes which pour out every time any of characters open their mouths. Its intention is completely destructive. Everything, love, patriotism, agriculture, is reduced to a mindless babble. It is supported by the image of height and distance. Height stands for the exaltation of love and the fall which follows its satisfaction. The declaration of love was made on the first floor of the major's house, but the lovers end up in the manner of the animals on the lowest plains rolling on the ground in the wood. This scene, this points to Emma's seduction and her first real act of adultery. Rodolphe, being a master in the ways of women, deliberately keeps away from Emma for six weeks. This static works. Emma longs for him desperately. Charles, with his habitual stupidity, plays into Rodolphe's hands, which he suggests that riding do would do Emma good. Not only that, Charles is extremely grateful towards Rodolphe for his kindness to his wife. They go riding into the woods. Emma succumbs to Rodolphe under the enchantment of the October afternoon. Rodolphe has planned this seduction carefully, but Emma does not realize it. Back home, she is deliriously happy that, like the heroines of her novels, she too has found a lover. Rodolphe and Emma have regular tryst. When they are not together, they are busy writing love letters to each other. Emma throws caution to the winds and starts visiting him in his house. Otherwise, they would make love in the garden right under Charles' nose. But Rodolphe, uh, now being so sure of her devotion, altogether drops his pretense of a romantic chivalrous knight. His solid middle-class good sense despises Emma's exalted emotionalism. Emma notices this and is dismayed. A letter from her father stirs up memories of her days of innocence and brings on contrition. Suddenly she realizes that she has neglected little Bertha. She even tries to make herself love Charles. Next chapter, this is another important scene. It shows up Charles' double incompetence. One as a husband, the other as a doctor. Emma wants to withdraw from Rodolphe and when Mr. Omer suggests to her that her husband can set Yonville abreast of the times by curing Hippolyte's club foot by means of surgical operation, she is excited. She coaxes her husband and Charles, against his letter judgment, succumbs. Omer finds it more difficult to induce Hippolyte to submit to the operation. At length, the wretched youth consents. Charles make quick work of the operation and bask in dreams of fame and prosperity. But they are cut short when the poor boy, 
instead of recovering, lies near death with an appealing gangrene. A qualified surgeon from the vicinity amputates the leg and saves Hippolyte's life. Emma realizes her folly in fantasizing about her husband as a great surgeon. She is utterly disgusted with him. His pathetic failure finishes him in her eyes and she returns to Rodolphe with a renewed and blatantly physical passion. Meanwhile, Hippolyte goes about with a wooden leg and the sound of his steps reverberates throughout the novel. Emma plunges headlong into a reckless life. In order to keep her hold on Rodolphe, she keeps giving him costly presents, thereby incurring greater debts with Loro. She becomes capricious, which irritates Rodolphe, the man of the world. She now has a great desire to elope with him. She now begins dreaming of mail coaches, moonlight, guitars and mountain scenery. Because of her constant pestering, Rodolphe agrees to an elopement. But he has other plans. Emma makes preparations for the journey and signs more of Leroux's notes. <laughs> On the eve of their departure, Rodolphe writes a long hypocritical note to Emma. He is going to leave the country and he wants Emma to be free of him. He tells her that he is afraid that their love would grow less. He blames fate for all that has transpired. Thus, the enterprising lover shakes off his mistress very successfully. He sends the letter to her concealed in a basket of apricots. When Emma breaks down, Charles and Omea attribute her syncope to the apricots. Brain fever sets in and Emma lies very ill for 43 days. Charles, who has no inkling of his wife's infidelity, nurses her with total devotion amidst growing financial difficulties. Charles' debts increase during Emma's illness, not only on account of medicines, but also due to certain traveling trunks and clothes delivered to him by Leroux, who takes advantage of Emma's illness. Charles never understands why Emma has ordered these things. Lero also makes him sign his bills and Charles even borrows money from him. During her convalescence, Emma has fits of religiosity and asks Abortion to administer her communion. Her ambition now is to become a saint. She takes to reading religious works and indulges in a Catholic melancholy. She also expends herself in extravagant charity. During this time, Charles decides to take Emma to the theatre in Rome. Seated in her box, Emma feels like a duchess. They meet Leon Dupis, the lawyer's clerk at the theatre. Leon finds this opera boring, but when he hears that Charles has to return to Yonville the next day, before the last act, Leon seizes his chance and praises the last act. He hopes to continue his relationship with Emma, which never really came to anything earlier. Charles decides to leave Emma in Rome. By the end of part two, Emma has finished with one affair and is about to start on another. Her relationship with her own husband is shattered forever. Her occasional lapses into religiosity and attempts at being a good mother and wife are insincere and superficial. Now that Leon has matured and acquired a Paris sophistication, Emma is attracted towards him. Next is part 3. Three years of city life has made, made Leon bolder and he is determined to have an affair with Emma. He goes to her hotel room in Rouen. The two start talking philosophically and both seem to have forgotten their little affairs with others. Leon confesses his love for her in the loftiest, loftiest words imaginable and lies to her that she had been in his heart all these years. 
Emma tries to hide herself behind her saintly pretense, though she is very much charmed by Leon's pretty speeches. She plays hard to get and Leon takes leave of her, begging her to meet him at the Rowe Cathedral. Emma decides to write to him, cancelling the meeting, but not knowing his address, decides to hand the note to him personally. Leon comes to the cathedral in the morning and waits for Emma. She shows up very late, looking pale. She holds out her note to him and goes inside to pray. A verger comes forward and forces the couple to see the curiosities of the cathedral. But Leon flees with Emma and bundles her into a cab despite her protest. The cab driver is asked to drive anywhere he likes and whenever he tries to stop, he is urged on. It drives on at random from morning till 6 o'clock in the evening and the townspeople stare at the extraordinary sight of a carriage with the drawn blinds constantly reappearing. At one point, a bare hand throws out scraps of paper from the window. Emma alights from the cab at 6 o'clock and walks quickly to her room. The central incident in part 3 is Emma's seduction by Leon and it is organized around the central image of the Rowe Cathedral. The cathedral creates in the mind of the waiting Leon the image of a gigantic body. Emma at first presents the image of virtue resisting. Leon has the image of virtue succumbing. This is the intrusion of the verger whose platitudes about the cathedral correspond to the platitudes about agriculture at the commises. His reference to the tomb of the celebrated adulteress lying buried among the saintly and worthy is no more accidental than his parting exhortation to the couple to at least see the last judgment and the damned in the fires of hell. When Emma returns to Yonville, she is met by Felicity, who asks her to go urgently to Homer's shop. Homer tells her that Charles's father is dead. Emma feels no involvement in the matter and does not even bother to comfort Charles. Leroux seizes his opportunity, seeing that Charles has an inheritance now. He induces Emma to get a power of attorney from Charles. This also provides her with an opportunity to see Leon under the pretext of getting free legal advice. She spends three exquisite splendid days with Leon at Rouen. It is a true honeymoon, staying by the quay and boating by moonlight. Leon comes to Yonville and has tryst with Emma behind the garden, where she used to meet Rodolphe. She hits upon a way to go to row at least once a week. She pretends to have a sudden passion for music. Poor Charles insists that she should take lessons at row, and Emma obliges him readily. Meanwhile, Emma's extravagances go out of bounds. She buys all kinds of fancy goods from Loro and signs more of his bills. Next chapter, Leon is simply thrilled that he has a woman of the world for his mistress. She is the heroine that he has read of in so many novels and has dreamt of so often. Emma is so happy that she is even indulgent towards her maid Felicity. Loro provides her with gift for her lover. She also knows of Emma's affairs and holds her in his power. So once in a while, he demands money of her and when she is at a loss, helps her out by disposing some of Charles's property. Emma carelessly leaves everything to him. He even provides her with money, making her sign notes. Emma is confused in her calculations, but she only thinks of satisfying her whims. Charles is easily convinced by Emma's explanations whenever he stumbles upon her secrets. Laro, who is even ever-present, also offers to help him financially by making him sign notes. 
he is also satisfied that she is taking piano lessons with madam lamberer emma becomes capricious and drops in on leon's office when he least expects her at first this thrills him but his employer protest another thing that unsettles leon is her desire to absolve him utterly little by little her ways begin to bore him she becomes sick of him and he worries of her emma finds in adultery nothing but the platitudes of marriage during all this time she spends money lavishly and lives like a duchess Lero encourages her to buy more and more finery. She falls deep into debts but is neither conscious of her nor bothers about it because Lero pretends to help her. Emma starts writing to Charles, patients and raises money from them. She borrows from any and everybody and spends lavishly on carpets, porcelain, ostrich feathers, etc. Old Madame Bovary in reply to demand for money says that they can only expect a small annuity and a little house but Charles is not aware that it has already been sold by Emma Meanwhile Leon's mother comes to know of her son's involvement with a married woman and writes to his employer the employer in his turn extracts a promise from leon that he will never see emma again one day when emma returns from rouen she finds a notice stuck on the wall it is a court judgment saying that her property shall be attached if she does not pay 8000 francs within 24 hours she runs to leon for help he shocks her by his rudeness he has her at his mercy now and emma is helpless emma has all along been thoughtless and negligent never realizing that her borrowings and unpaid bills would pile up like this emma tries to put up a brave front when the seizure of good starts she manages to keep the gullible charles ignorant of all the goings on she still hopes to pay up and the next day visits all the bankers in row only to be refused outright she goes to leon he is unable to help her emma even suggests to him to embezzle his office funds leon evades the issue by assuring her that he would meet her by 3 o'clock the next day with the money emma tries other ways too in the meantime she goes to the locker solicitor's 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 house She tries to touch the old man's heart and grows emotional while recounting her plight but the old teacher has other designs Emma in sudden revulsion leaves the house Emma approaches the tax collector Binet but she tries to take his hand he recoils as if from snake full of fatigue she stops for a while at the house of her former nurse Leon never tends up with the money when she hears that Charles is weeping and asking for her Emma makes off for Rodolphe house they meet for the first time in 3 years Rodolphe is on more excited by her charm but when she asks him for money he immediately becomes cautious he tells her that he is in deep waters himself though all around him are precious items His insincerity and callousness throws Emma into a fit of rage and self-pity and she leaves humiliated. Emma is now at the end of her tether. Darkness closes in quickly. Then all of a sudden, she has an idea and she runs to the chemist's shop. She finds young Justin, the assistant, all alone there and she urges him to give her the keys. On an earlier occasion she had seen where arsenic was kept and now she makes for it she takes the jar down and start eating the powder right in front of the terrified boy who secretly loves her she goes home where charles is waiting frantically for her he weeps faints and thinks of their blasted fortune and ruined reputation to charles queries 
she gives him a sealed letter with entreaty that it should be read only the next day when the symptoms of poisoning manifest themselves charles panics he reads the letter which confirms his suspicions he is so overcome that he loses his head the apothecary sends for two doctors when little bertha is brought in at emma's request the child takes fright the first doctor prescribes an emetic which makes emma omit blood she screams in pain and charles shares her agony the appearance of dr lavisher is like a divine presence he is the model of the ideal doctor but he gives no false hopes he tells charles that emma cannot be saved omer seizes his opportunity and entertains the two famous doctors in his house emma is forgotten for a moment and people crowd round the famous surgeon with their ailments now the abbey is seen hurrying to emma's bedside when the last communion is administered emma once more has visions of beatitude then comes her last moments she pants for breath and her eyes roll wildly emma hears the blind man's song from the street and she laughs horribly and wildly there is a convulsion and sure soon she passes away this chapter described the final catastrophe of emma we have already had forebodings of impending disaster emma's pathetic situation is highlighted here her lovers who adored her physical charms let her down completely her husband's who never really mattered to her forgives her and agonizes for her even at this moment she has to repulse the advances of the old lecherous solicitor whose secret propensities were hinted at by the cupid in his garden the description of emma's death is a masterpiece of flaubert's realism flaubert himself said that when he wrote about madame bovary's poisoning he could feel the taste of arsenic in his mouth and experienced the same nausea what makes the climax in this tragedy so dramatic is the earlier spectacle of emma going round and round in an ever narrowing circle as lora and his bankers and bailiffs close in on her there is something implausibly morbid in the timely appearance of the blind man to whose infernal wretchedness emma had once given all her money there are touches of harrowing sentimentality as emma weeps over her reflection in the mirror charles is so stupefied stupefied that at first he refused to bury his wife he wants to keep her body but later he insists that she be buried in her wedding dress and insists on three coffins and a pall of green velvet omer and the ab keep the death vigil engaged in a heated debate on the subject of religion charles goes out of like an automaton broken by his wife's death the past memories of happiness come flooding back reality strikes him only when he realizes the veil and sees the dead face he cries in horror and is led away later he asks felicity for a piece of emma's hair when old row arrives the coffins have already been nailed down omer letter to him had not specified what to expect and he faints when he sees the black pall however he recovers and tries to keep a brave front during the funeral it is tall who find all the ceremonies unbearable at the grave he has to be led back because he wants to be buried with her omer is sorry that he could not make a speech over her grave old row goes back without waiting to see his grandchild old madame bowery decides to stay with charles and his child at night charles tosses in his bed thinking of her leon and rodolph in their homes lie fast asleep but young justin 
kneels by Emma's grave weeping. When he comes back, he is mistaken for having gone to steal potatoes. Emma's death does not put an end to Charles' troubles. Money problems plague him along with his inconsolable grief. Loro make him also enter into the exorbitant commitments. Now everybody begins to exact their pound of flesh. Charles is even made to pay for the music lessons which Emma never took and the lending library for books she never borrowed. Emma had been haunted by creditors. Now they close in they close in on Charles. Felicity elopes with her lover with the reminder of her dead mistress's wardrobe. When Charles discovers the last letter from Rodolphe, he thinks it would have been a platonic affection. He keeps on adoring her. His mother had left after a quarrel. Now he leads a lonely life with his daughter. Charles finds find it find it's difficult to pay off his old debts. He one day stumbles on Leon's letters and later finds Rodolphe's portrait. This shatters him. He gives up his practice and takes to drinking and walks about like a dead man. One day he ro- runs into Rodolphe and the two men drink together. Charles tells him that it was all the fault of destiny. The next day, Charles sits in the garden, experiencing a great yearning for Emma. He does not come in to dinner, and when Bertha goes to call him, she finds him dead. After Charles' death, everything has to be sold to pay off his debts. Her grandmother takes care of Bertha until her death. Then old Roo, being paralyzed, an old aunt takes charge of the child. She sends her to a cotton mill to earn her living. The tragedy of the Bowery is complete.